Hello, and welcome back to The Boys, Oasis of Knowledge, or as we like to call it, The Book, <laughs> the podcast of all things literary. I'm Infrared Jeepers. And I'm Carlos Santeria, and we are The Boys. The topic of discussion today is Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried. The Things They Carried is essentially a collection of stories recounting O'Brien's experiences leading up to, during, and after the Vietnam War. O'Brien utilizes several different perspectives for these stories and jumps from different time periods as well. What is interesting about the things they carried is that even while composed of different stories narrated by different people, the book is still able to convey an important central theme of people's perception of each other through the entirety of Alpha Company, fitting excellently in the time period due to how public perception was so crucial in the Vietnam War. I feel the usage of the frame narrative also helped O'Brien give off the impression of war stories being told by veterans, which gives the work more impact than had it not been. The opening story is a work titled The Things They Carried, and is narrated by Lieutenant Jimmy Cross. Jimmy Cross is lieutenant of Alpha Company, but isn't actively serving in the war like the rest of Alpha Company. Cross is frequently engrossed in his fantasies about a girl named Martha, who he knew didn't share feelings. Before we continue, I think it's important to mention O'Brien's focus on character throughout the novel. It is one of the main draws in the book and is important throughout the entire story. O'Brien uses obsessively detailed descriptions of each character to tie into the overarching themes of people's perceptions of each other. Right. Just like in the first story, O'Brien characterizes Ted Lavender, who is always nervous and carries marijuana and tranquilizers with him to calm him down. Lavender is shot and killed in this first story, and afterwards, Lieutenant Cross is left feeling guilty for the death of his team member and is distracted by the thoughts of his love for Martha which then prompts him to burn all his photos of her so he can focus better. Next story, Love, is set after the war, and it's essentially O'Brien and Cross reconnecting and discussing the war and what happened afterwards. Cross explains how he still carries the guilt of Lavender's death with him, and how Martha never did love him the way that he loved her. Yeah, this story is pretty sad, but it is used to show how the war affects people. It is also somewhat sadly ironic how Cross spent the whole war distracted by Martha, yet when he gets home, she still doesn't care for him. The next story is actually a collection of smaller stories within it to show that the war was not always about terror and violence. O'Brien writes about Mitchell Sanders sending his lights to the draft board, the entirety of Alpha Company playing chess, Lavender taking too many tranquilizers, and the company being led through a minefield by an old Vietnamese man and how they grew attached to him. These stories function to show the duality of man and by extension the other side of the war. In between the stories, O'Brien talks about how during his time writing his stories, his daughter told him he should stop and move on, yet he can't. This also ties into the central theme of perception, because in contrast to Elroy, who we'll discuss later, O'Brien's daughter doesn't perceive him as a hero for his war stories, and instead insists he moves on. The next story, On the Rainy River, is about O'Brien re recounting his thoughts and feelings before he was drafted into the war. He doesn't know what... Uh, quite what to think because he doesn't quite understand what they are fighting for yet, but he feels pressure to join by his family and community. Yeah, I would probably feel the same way in his situation. He doesn't want to fight for something he doesn't really understand, but at the same time, he doesn't want to let his family down. So because of this, O'Brien attempts to run away towards Canada, trying to dodge the draft. I think this section was important because he met because mainly. I think this section was important because he meets Elroy while he's in Canada. Elroy helps O'Brien figure out what he truly wants in life. Elroy is somewhat opposed to the war, he doesn't influence O'Brien either way. He merely listens, and in the end, he decides on his own to join the war. 
Elroy serves the primary theme by being a hero, not for his sentiments about the war, but his lack thereof. In the next story, Enemies, Dave Jensen and Lee Strunk get into a fight over a knife Jensen thinks Strunk stole from him. In the fight, Jensen breaks Strunk's nose, and then after gets paranoid that Strunk will exact, exact revenge, so he ends up breaking his own nose to even out the odds. Strunk reacts by revealing that he did in fact take the knife. This story shows the main theme by showing how Jensen is afraid not necessarily of Strunk, but of what Strunk thinks of him, breaking his nose so that they could be friends. Friends comes directly after Enemies, continuing the story of Strunk and Jensen. After the events of Enemies, the two men trust each other and work together on the battlefield, becoming friends and also making a pact to end each other's suffering if one of them gets critically injured. Which is pretty sad because Strunk ends up getting his leg blown off and begs Jensen not to kill him and does not survive in the helicopter. Yeah, the relationship does portray how conflict uh, can lead to tight bonds, though, especially in war. That's true. I also think that the abruptness to which the friendship blooms and dies in a sort of... In the next section, How to Tell a True War Story, O'Brien goes on to tell all the intricacies that go into telling a true war story. In his explanation, he uses some stories from the war as examples. He used the story of Rat Kelly sending a letter to his close friend, Kurt Lemon's sister, after his death. He describes that Rat and Lemons were playing chicken with a smoke bomb and Lemons steps on a landmine and is killed, but it seems like he's killed by the sun. Then Lemons' sister never ends up responding and Rat gets very upset about it. Then he ends up killing a baby buffalo. Oh, and also O'Brien and Jensen have to take all of the all of Lemons' bits out of the trees and Jensen is singing. And then O'Brien says that the story isn't true, but it is true. I'll be honest, this one kind of lost me. I think O'Brien was putting emphasis on the nature of war. He describes how he, how most war stories are often told. He said things like how the true thing is is what it felt like happened, not necessarily what literally happened. He also says that there is no clarity in war, making no war story 100% true. It puts emphasis on the duality of things. I think the story of Rat and Lemon, O'Brien is addressing the tumultuous nature of war and how things in war are so different from our reality, it seems unbelievable. Hmm, that makes sense. That also shows the lack of clarity and how no one was really on the same page about the war, warped people's perceptions of each other. The short story of the dentist gives Lemon a little more background and recounts his fainting when going to see the dentist. He then later returned to the dentist to have him rip out one of his teeth, uh, even though he has something wrong with it, just to save face. The story after that is titled The Sweetheart of the Song Tribong. In this story, a young medic named Mark Fossier convinces his elementary sweetheart, Mary Ann, to join them in the relatively safe, safe camp near the river of Song Trabong. I found this part a bit odd, very interesting because of how Mary reacts so oddly to being in Vietnam, even in a non-combat zone. Right? So anyways, Mary Ann fits in very well at first. She learns some Vietnamese, how to cook, and even to help the injured. She even cuts her hair and drops her more feminine habits. Yeah, and that's when Fossey suggests she go home, but she refuses and starts disappearing. And at one point when she disappears, the troops see her performing some sort of weird ritual with a necklace of human tongues. Yeah, that was very unexpected, but it does show the great difference between both cultures in Vietnam at the time. It shows how different civilians and soldiers were at the time. Civilians called soldiers pigs and murderers, but never really had experienced the horrors of Vietnam and would break if deployed even to a non-combat zone. The next section... Oh, you wanna... Oh. 
The next section, Stockings, describes Henry Dobbins and talks about his superstitious nature and how he wore his girlfriend's pantyhose around his neck, claiming that they gave him good luck. The section after that, Church, the company finds a deserted pagoda and they stay there for a couple weeks. There, two monks come by every now and again and they give them water and goods and they even clean Dobbins' M60. I thought this part was kind of touching because it shows that Viennese people and Americans getting along even in a time of war. I agree. It also shows how the only reason the two sides hated each other is because of the government portrayal of each opposing side. They perceived each other as monsters and animals, so that's what they fought each other as. The next section, The Man I Killed, is in my opinion one of the most impactful stories in the book. It goes in depth about how O'Brien killed a man with a grenade. He goes on to say how he basically mutilated the man's face and does an incredible job of using imagery of the man's features and his possible life to convey what it might have felt like to die. The way he never says, I was guilty, but instead just describes how he was thinking about the possible life the man he had just killed may have led is very thought-provoking. In Ambush, O'Brien talks about how many years after the war, his daughter asked him if he had killed a man before. He lies and says no, but decides to use this story to tell her as an adult. This is a retelling of the story before, The Man I Killed, but it goes into more detail about the psychological aspect of the killing, and talks about how guilty O'Brien feels about it afterwards. This time he goes into how he acted not fully knowing whether or not the man was going to cause them harm, and how horribly guilty he is for doing what he did. Yes, this is a very powerful scene. The next section, Style, features the haunting imagery of a young Vietnamese girl dancing among the death and wreckage of her village, which the men happen to come across. This section is not only unsettling, but also serves to explain particularly why war heroes don't last or don't exist in the Vietnam War. The story, Speaking of Courage, explains what Norman Boeger is thinking about now that he is home from the war. He wishes he could tell someone his stories of the war, but realizes no one wants to hear them. Tying into important themes of war heroes not existing anymore and how he's seen as either a monster or a nobody. The next story, Notes, features O'Brien talking about the previous story, which was written at the requester poker, who hung himself three years after it was published. The story, In the Field, features Kiowa's death weighing heavily on Jimmy Cross, which is once again an example of Jimmy Cross bearing the guilt for another one of his men's death due to his inexperience as a leader. To wrap things up, The Things That Carried is a book that embodies the most important part of the Vietnam War, how people saw each other. Using intensive characterization, O'Brien not only tells the story of Alpha Company in the years during and after the war, but also makes an important statement about the way we see each other and how much we can really learn about a person from the things they carry.